My name is Rahel Fode, and my nonprofit is called the Rachel Madison Home. I am a politician and philanthropist activist. This, this, is, this is Diversified, diversified game, 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 game. A podcast giving entrepreneurial advice from a diverse and inclusive perspective with Kelly. He may agree, he may oppose, and it's more than just race, it's about, you know, ideas. So, let the game begin. Hey, it's Kellen, and today on Diversified Game, I have Rahil Forday, who is a politician, you guys, in Liberia. She's running again as well. You're going to say, well, I thought she was like an actress or a model from the thumbnail. No, she has a brain and she uses it. She also is does have a movie she's been in. You know, and there are no small parts. And she was with like some huge actors. And you'll probably see that running through here. But she's going to give us the game on her nonprofit, Rachel Madison, her experiences, folks, of not just being kidnapped, um, physical abuse, trying to make a difference, really coming up, trying to make um, a difference for everybody and the things that she has had to endure and overcome while doing this. Um she is in New York right now, but she is all over the continent, all over the world. So how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. How are you? Uh, you know, blessed by the best every day we wake up. And I just, you know, I want to just like jump right into it because your resume is beautiful, but it also has some things that people need to hear about overcoming. It's not all about me, 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 and this is what I've done. You mm -hmm. have gone through kidnapping and rape. And I just need to know, one, is this all due to politics, like for you running? Or is this, you know, because your family maybe is so tied in somewhere and people just hate your family for whatever reason, um, and how did you get over that? Because some of us, we would not be strong enough to do that. Yeah. So, I mean, when it goes to the kidnapping situation, um, when you are running a political campaign, you have something called a launch. And now you can launch either before or after you have officially declared your intention to run for a certain constituency. And um for me, I had my launch uh, after I had declared interest in representing a district. And I, it was like raining in the beginning of the day. And we just still made it happen. This is something that you can see on my Instagram page at President Fode. <clears throat> it was a rainy day in the beginning. Thousands of people showed up. I did not believe that I was going to have such a turnout. And we were at the climax of the launch, pretty much where you're supposed to give a speech and share your intentions for your district, as well as allow them to understand what it is that you want to do for the community and what your long-term goals are. So right before I was able to give my speech at the climax of the launch, that is when my driver and my security guard asked me to like pull aside and I thought they were asking me this so I could you know maybe think about something because I mean like my speeches and things they all pretty much come from the mind I've never written or wrote a speech down everything just is pretty much freestyle 
but still due to the fact that it was launch day, I was giving it a benefit of the doubt that maybe they wanted to share something with me. And once they got me off of the stage, they put me in the car and then we drove away from the launch site. And I'm like, where are we going? And I was sitting in the front seat and pretty much I just did not feel comfortable. No one was speaking to me. And mind you, this is a driver I've had for a very long time, as well as my security guard. Now, my security guard initially, when you're running campaigns, when you're doing anything in politics, especially in Africa, it's always best to protect yourself, but in a very extreme way. So when I started this process, I decided to get my security guard from Ghana, which is a neighboring country, because if I were to bring my security from another country, they would have very slim to low chance in being compromised due to the fact that I'm the one that brought them there. They would pretty much have to rely and depend on me. Now, if they have already been there, someone can come to them and say, hey, we're trying to either kidnap, steal X, Y, and Z from this person. So, you know, I'll give you this. Now, you can't really do that. So initially, when I started this process, I had my security guard from Ghana. Unfortunately, he had family um, duties that he had to attend to. So he had to return back to Ghana. So I ended up getting a security guard from Liberia. And during the kidnapping, that security guard coerced with my driver in getting me kidnapped. Now, once I reached to what I would think was a station, I was held, my, my driver held one hand, my security guard held another hand. And on the way, while this whole thing was happening, when I realized I was being taken off site to give my speech, I had attempted to jump out of the car. And someone that my driver had brought to me said that, okay, so rewind. Usually when you're back home, whether you're doing politics or not, you have someone that's pretty much, um, you know, with you, someone that either carries your bag, you know, someone that is just like around you, like a companion sort of thing or a confidant sort of thing. And the person that my driver has shared to uh, me saying that this is someone that will be like a, a little son to you will come with you. I, I believe he's probably like uh, 20 something years old. Now he was sitting in the back seat. When I tried to jump out of the car, he grabbed my hands from behind. This is someone that I was supposed to look at as a little son. Mm-hmm. And um, once we got to wherever they carried me to, I had, trying my best to fight my way out. It was a small place from what I can remember. Um, I couldn't breathe. You know, while they're beating me, I really thought that I was going to die. So I told them, I said, listen, like, I don't know if the plan or the intent is to kill me, but if you don't let me out of this room, I'm going to end up dying. I was already scared, you know, that I can't breathe. You know, there's a lot going on. So I'm like, what's going to happen here? And I literally got saved by a gentleman who is always drunk during our campaign trails. <laughs> now, what I didn't know, because I couldn't look in the back seat, aside from the person that was supposed to be like my son. Now, after this situation, I came to find out 
that he was sleeping in the back of the car. He got drunk at the lodge and he went to the car to like rest. And he didn't wake up during the whole time we were driving to the station. So I guess he heard me screaming and he was literally the one that pulled me out of there. And once I got to my friend's place, like I have a friend's place that, you know, I usually go to after like campaign lunches or I take people there for meetings or, uh, you know, just brainstorming. I always go to the same place. That's another thing, you know, when it comes to doing politics, you have to learn how not to be profiled. You can't go to the same places over and over and over again. And I am not a creature of habit, but once I find a place that I like and I get comfortable, I tend to just go there. And there's not that many places where I felt like I could be comfortable, except for that one and a few others. So now that the whole situation had ended, I got feedback from one of my closest friends. He said, Rahel, I don't know what they did to you where you were, but when you came here, he said, even me, you didn't want me to come around you. Um, he said, I was frantic. I was paranoid. And, you know, after some time, like I just ended up like just passing out going to sleep on the floor. When I woke up to get me out of that location, my friend and I were in the car and my driver and my security guard who initially kidnapped me came to that place where I was. This is why I'm saying it's it's not good to go to the same places over and over again because the people that are closest to you will end up finding you. And literally they came, they were hanging in my friend's car and they said that, that they were there to protect me. And I'm like, protect me? You guys are the same people that pretty much just had me beaten and kidnapped. And they were on each side of the car. Like they were like, we can't let her go. We can't let her go. Ended up demanding food, demanding drinks, money, like just went off. So we had to call the national security to like block down the streets before they got off the car. Um, honestly, I did not like think I was such a great candidate to the extent where someone would feel the need to kidnap me. Our former president was also a female. Once this situation happened to me, that's when I found out that while she was running her campaign, she had gotten raped, she had gotten kidnapped, and now she has a speech when she goes back to the military barracks, because as a president, you have certain places that you have to go and visit consistently. When she opens up her speech, she says, hello, you know, I'm all of y'all wives. And when she says, I'm all of your wives, she's pretty much stating or going back to the fact that everybody in the military barracks raped her. There was also another woman, um, T. Ture, while she was running for representative as well, she also got kidnapped. And she actually won the campaign. But of course, there is a lot of corruption inside our uh, constitution, as well as when it comes to anything that has to do with politics. So even though she won, she had reported fraudulent activity and then they ended up taking her out of her space. So then when I got kidnapped, I'm like, our former president got kidnapped, a former representative got kidnapped. I did not think I was that great of a threat for someone to kidnap me. I have to ask, so um, on this scenario of being kidnapped, 
were you also raped and and beaten up? You said you were beaten up, but were you also yeah. raped like I, the No, I was not raped, no. Uh, okay. Um and I know because I have, you know, friends and associates, I know um Rhoda Yearway, her her family members are very political. Oh, and, Rhoda, yes. Y- yes. And I and I have seen, you know, she has sent what the cars, you know, their family car looked like uh last time, their bulletproof car. And I said, What this is, you know, for the rich history of Liberia. Yes. Um, and you, you're telling me something I, I had never heard. I did not know that the uh, female president, it's almost like a Madam sick, yeah. yeah, it's like a sick indoctrination of we have to do this to you for you to get to a position. Um, is this something that during her reign that she cracked down on and was able to, you know, bring some people to prison or was it something kind of brushed under the rug? Definitely something that was brushed under the rug. Um, yeah, definitely something that's brushed under the rug. Okay. And, and, and you know, the, the whole world has a problem with this. And so how long did they take you? Was there a ransom? How did you get free? Well, the I, I shared that a little bit early in reference to how I got free there. Okay, so well, I mean, with the with the the drunk guy, he got you free. But did he have to maybe beat them up, or did he just kind of sneak you out when nobody was paying attention, or maybe they all got drunk? Yeah, this is the thing. While you do campaigns, there's a you you pretty much are like in pickup trucks most of the time. So for me, I'm in the back in the pickup truck most of the time. And this guy is like always there. We drive through the district. We drive through the community. And he is always turned up. This was the first time I had ever seen him sober. And honestly, I, I, I guess I was just very, very lucky that he was there because I was not going to be free if it was not for him. And literally, he just pulled me out. They stopped what they were doing once they saw him. And he just literally, all I can remember is him grabbing my arm. I do not remember how I got to my friend's place. I don't know if we took a motorcycle. I don't know if we took a taxi. I don't know how we got there because I usually don't have a bag. I don't have any money on me. Usually my security guard or my driver or my special aide has the cash or so there was no way for us to take any public transportation. And they said once I got to my friend's place, I was barefoot. So some things are a blur. Okay, so you don't remember um, even what they said. Like maybe they were trying to intimidate you and say, you better not run or you better drop oh, out. When, when I was trying to get out of there, while they were beating me, I'm like, you know, just let me go. And I, all I can remember was people laughing. I don't remember anybody telling me any words. I just remember everyone laughing while they were beating me. That's all I remember. Okay. And you could you put any faces with names or have you gone after them at all? The only two faces were my security guard and my driver that I know. Everyone else, I don't know them. Okay. Were, were they able to be prosecuted? 
Um, now the story was shared. The crazy thing is my security guard, once my initial security guard went back to Ghana, I ended up getting a security guard from the national government. Um, and yes, their names were out there and my driver was as well. And after that, my driver pretty much came. It's just like, it's crazy. The story was shared maybe like a week after. No, it's disgusting. Yeah. It's disgusting that, that, you know, I don't care even if men hear about something while people are drinking Guinness in the bar. If you have violated somebody, even I'm beating you up. I look at you and I've seen, you know, the pictures and that who can beat up a woman and especially men like that's the lowest of the low. It's as low as, you know, hurting a child. Because here you are, you know, some some whole men, some strong men to to take, you know, and do that to you. But I do know, you know, going through press and looking at even your release that you were also a victim of rape. So was that after or was that even before? Well, I mean, the situation when it comes to rape, this the. One of the, it also happened in Liberia, but much, much, many years, way before I even thought about getting into uh, campaigning, I was in a situation where I was out with a friend and I'm staying in a hotel after that. What I did not realize, they put me in a room where the door locks outwardly so they can lock me inside the room. And when I got raped, when I left the hotel trying to seek refuge, it was pretty much just like, you got raped, okay, and so what? And it's like, you know who am I going to talk At that time, I'm like, probably 14, you know, 13, 14. So, and I mean, like, prior to that, I had been molested around, like, nine, nine years old. So, it's like, who do you really talk to? The crazy thing is the person that raped me when I was, like, 13, 14, uh, probably, like, six months before I started campaigning, I saw him again. And I saw him with my political party leader. And we were just at a uh, beachfront area, you know, and now he's, you know, he's doing great things. He's very prominent in our country. And I ended up saying the story. I didn't say it was him. I was like, you know, cause we were speaking on the, the subject of rape during this whole coronavirus uh, lockdown in Liberia, there were 6,000 cases of rape, 6,000 ranging from starting from three months old and up. So we were just pretty much speaking on like the rape subject. And while he was there, I shared the stories like, oh, you know, there was a time where I was out with a friend and all of a sudden I ended up in a room with a guy who raped me and I can be around him and it doesn't do anything to me. It's like, I don't feel afraid. I don't feel ashamed. I don't feel scared. I feel empowered because if you had to go to that extent or that extreme to take something from me, it shows how weak you are. That's how I look at it. You you are stronger than any of these cowardice men. I can't even, I tell you, you, you tell me that story. I, I've not just 
work with folks in mental health and drug addiction in that. But I mean, personally, we'll talk more. I, I, I can't be in a room with, if I knew that about someone and um, people know don't have me in certain rooms because <laughs> it's, I, 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 my wife has the bail money. Um, I don't care if they did who they did. I, it doesn't matter because even when I've, and I'm going to tell you more off air because I, I don't want to go off topic. I want to talk about you. So that is the hurdles of, you know, you going, getting through that and wanting to make a difference. Africa, if we are wise, America, if we are wise, we will start putting women in position of all position, even president, because only they know what they've gone through. Only they can tell that story. A man, we can be as frustrated as whatnot. We can't tell the story and then make the type of changes that hopefully will be done sooner than later because this, this is just, it, it's a violation. Now, through all that, you have been successful nonprofit. Even, like I, I was mentioned before, the movie, which you guys can go see on HBO Max. It's one of those type of movies with stars overcome. What, what do you overcome and keeps pushing you every day? What pushes me, I would say, are certain words and sayings that I've heard. You know, I'm very, very particular with words. And, you know, what do you do with words? You spell words. And when you use words, you cast spells on people. And that is what I go by. My grandmother told me some time ago, the rejected stone will be the cornerstone. And that's what pushes me every day. When I wouldn't give up, I'm like, you know, people are reject. People have rejected me. People have, you know, abused me. People have used me. But I will be the person. Everyone, excuse me. I will be the person everyone has to lean on at one point. So I believe that God wouldn't give me too much more than I can bear. And I've been able to bear a lot and I've been able to have the strength that I have. Yeah. So words, words, I cast, I cast spells on my, on myself um, to be able to manipulate my mind and manipulate and override any negative thoughts or any negativity coming from the outside world. And I push myself through my pain. You know, I, I do not process pain. I just keep on going, keep on moving. I feel like if I were to take time to process it or download any negative experience to a certain extent, it would deter me and derail me. So I just choose not to process anything negative and I just move forward. You have, you know, go through that and that process because it definitely can help. I want people to know this is not just a ambitious, pretty face who's gotten lucky. This is a woman <laughs> who is educated. Delaware State, HBCU. My wife and I went to Grambling State. Um, is, is your family a rich, wealthy family that people might dislike or maybe they love in, in Liberia? But talk about your family and, you know, how they're, they are financially and their status in Liberia. Okay, so my mother is a diplomat. My grandfather ran the UNECA. UNECA is the United Nations Economics Affairs Commission. My grandfather has passed away. 
So in reference to status, and he was not a Liberian, he was from Sierra Leone. And he came to Liberia because there was a time where Liberia was pretty much like a small America. Um, you know, I could answer questions very short, but, you know, one thing that I've realized about being here in your space and on your show, you do like to educate people and, you know, give awareness to what's going on in other parts of the world. So I'll give a little bit more detailed answer when I answer questions for the record. Um, Liberia was pretty much like a small America. We had every embassy in the world, such as America. Um, and things only started to tear apart due to the war. Now, prior to that time, people would come from neighboring countries to go to school there because of the fact that they were running off of an American system. And my grandfather came there with nothing, pretty much met my grandmother, who was also from a, she was from a prominent family and he was coming from nothing. So due to her connections and him going to school, he was able to get into the United Nations. Um, initially he was based in Addis Ababa before he got stationed in Italy. Now, my father's side, you know, they're more now at this time, more, uh, involved in things like entertainment, you know, some are NFL players, some are news anchors, comedians. My father's side is more of a creative side. My mother's side is more on the diplomatic side. Now, my kidnapping would not have anything to do with my family status in any way, which does happen when people are trying to get a ransom and things of that nature. But I do believe that when it comes to my kidnapping, it was merely because of the fact that I am, and I, where I was at that time, a very strong candidate where I just was seen as a threat and they wanted to get rid of me. And if they couldn't get rid of me, then it would be a scare tactic for me to back down. Okay. And only imagine, you know, when telling them this, they're furious because with not just money, but when you have access to power, you want heads to roll. And, you know, if, if, when you get into office, um, you know, when you run for this or when you get into a position, there are some things that you think you can do with your education, with the things that you have seen, you know, around the world to stop, you know, the massive rapes um, that nothing's done, to stop even just, you know, the system. We don't want Africa to be America, but there are systems that we can bring just to better, you know, different countries in Africa. So what's some of, you know, your top two or three that you would do, um, especially with the rape, because the rape has to to stop, right? But the rape has to stop because that's just a human right. And you have no, nobody has a right to take something. There's enough women who are willing to give it. And they do that out of, you know, their sickness. And, and, and I don't that's my opinion you didn't say that as a political candidate i said that and i stand by that but what what would you do when i am empowered to start on the topic of rape and what i would do to fight against it i mean i'm an activist and advocate for 
freedom, for women's rights, for men's rights. And that's one thing I wanted to share light on. I, I, I believe a lot of people um, don't keep in consideration rape is not something that just happens to women or girls. It's also something that happens to boys, little boys and men as well. And like you said, it is something that is a choice. It's not something that has to be or should be taken away from you. And we were speaking on um, different penalties and getting to the point where we're choosing one. I don't think that rapists should be killed because that was something that was considered, um, you know, during this conversation of what should be the penalty for rapists. But I do believe jail is not going to be enough as well. Um, I'm definitely leaning more towards extreme programs, concentration camps for rapists to reform their minds. I feel like they too probably have either been raped, molested, or abused, which is why they think it's okay to do it to other people because it was done to them. So I believe if they were to be in an extreme reform camp where they are pretty much broken down and rebuilt again, that would definitely be something that I would put into action being in power you and i will differ on what should happen to a rapist um and we'll just you know we'll we'll move move forward and and i and i and you know your your answer is very um it's a more mature answer than my solution would be uh (laughs) so and and i'll i'll leave it at that so i don't taint your your you know contribution of what you want to do for the the country now We've talked a lot about how you've overcome. Let's talk about your community give back. Let's talk about your nonprofit because I ask all my guests, what is their community give back that they're doing or that they want to do in the future? Okay, yeah. So my nonprofit is pretty much a safe haven for abused children and young adults due to the fact that I have had some unfortunate experiences while growing up. And I didn't have a place to go or a place to run to or find or feel as if it were to be a safe space. I want to be able to provide a safe space for others to be able to feel like they have somewhere to go in case they're being abused, raped, sexually, physically, mentally. They don't have to feel like they don't have somewhere else outside of home. And that's something that I would like to be spread across the world. I would, uh, push to have a safe haven in every state, every country. But at this time, 501c3 is filed within the state of Pennsylvania. Okay, and talk about some of that work that you've been able to do, and even more importantly, how others can help you with that because it's a lot bigger than money, but money is, um, even the scriptures talk about, you know, you need money for everything. So how, how can people help you out with that? People can help me out by coming to the forefront, sharing their story. I feel like that is a very great help when you have other people coming out of their comfort zone and sharing their experiences because that allows and makes others who have been abused 
to feel empowered to share their stories as well. I feel like that is a very huge aspect due to the fact that the more people who have shared or will share their stories will draw light to showing how real and present this case still is, which will translate to people who are looking to help, whether it's financially or through whichever aid that they have possible, feel more giving because they can see how many people are being affected. If they truly want to make an impact in the world, right now I'm putting my board together and one of the members um, who we are hoping to secure on my board said that he's looking to, I mean, he's a tech entrepreneur and um, I mean, financially, He's pretty much made it. He has like four Lamborghinis, Rolls Royces, but now he's saying that he wants to do something that'll make him feel fulfilled in life. So there's a lot of people that have reached a certain monetary relief, I would say, um, and are looking to give back. But I mean, people that want to give back usually want to do big and great things. And the more numbers, the more stories, the greater the impact, the greater they would feel that they are making a change. So, yeah, more stories. That's how you can help me. Um, Whoever is listening, if you have been through rape, molestation, abuse, come out, share your story. That'll be a great help to me, as well as the fact that anybody that is looking to donate financially to the organization, um, donate in a way of, I'll say, infrastructure. If you have buildings or property that you would like to give to be used as a safe house or a safe haven, you know, that would be a great help as well. And of course, money goes a long way. And I also believe money is an illusion. It only has value once you place value on it. If you have any money that you would like to donate Um, We are accepting financial support. It's not only beneficial for you in the way that you would be giving back to a great cause, but I mean, it's also something that you can get away or get off or get back. I mean, when you give, you're going to get it back through your taxes because this is something that once you give a certain amount to charity, you know, it, it does have the ability to be written off in your taxes. So we're taking all help. We're taking all forms of support. And and I'll tell you, folks, this is why you can write off things for charitable donations, because the more money you make, the more the government in America wants to take. And you think that they want to give all that money to the Vatican because they're holier than thou? No, they give this money because it circulates inside certain communities and things are, are built up. So before you go buy that $10,000, $50,000 watch, um, think about what she just said, because she knows someone who has all the money. If I point at my camera this way, you could see a million dollars worth of cars, not in my garage, (laughs) but you could see a million dollars worth of cars. And I can tell you, 
it, it's just these are just toys for for certain people but you, your life is nothing if you don't give back so you have to do that and you guys we have heard um a great story it's been more on the comeback as somebody who is you know trying to make a change that's bigger than them that can cost them their life um the way you're doing it. And so I have to take it off air because you know, I'm, I'm a solution-based type of guy. Some of the things I'm going to say aren't going to be so PC. So I don't want to um, get your campaign and anybody run anything that they think that they could use against you for now or later. But I thank you for sharing your story. I think my last question will be, have you started writing the book? So then I know when we can talk about the movie. <laughs> you see this is the thing like my aunt is always like Rahel you have to write a book you have to write a book you have to write a book and I had like an unfortunate situation where my laptop I got stolen I was like literally like probably on page three of writing the book and I'm having this horrible experience with this iCloud situation and not being able to recover my documents that I've written even though they said that they were safe so I guess I'm just gonna have to start all over again it's just another roadblock that we have to push by but I can say maybe next week I can start writing again just for you yes and if you have any trouble no it's like a trainer I have a, a publishing house for Mankey Publishing it's my African publishing house and I tell people if you have trouble if you if we're putting it in the calendar doesn't work which usually that can help find yourself a good I don't like to call them ghostwriters, but it's a trainer for writing books because just like the trainer at the gym, if you're paying somebody to write this book, you're going to make sure you get it done and not waste that yeah. time. But the book is in you. So you could rewrite it 87 times. Sometimes it takes that to get it right out of the mind because um, I, I would already know some of the African directors, once that book is done, that I would like to email and share and say, this might be your next story that's going to go on Netflix. So <laughs> I thank you for coming on. Let's take this off air. You guys, make sure you like, share, subscribe, and be active and making a change. Just don't say, oh, boo-hoo. You see, this is a strong woman, and she's going to get it where she wants to go. It's God's plan. Be blessed, y'all. <laughs>